0: Alright, welcome to Adulting Poorly. As always, this is your host, Phipps. And I am, again, just sitting in my basement with my microphone talking shit about the week's events. Um, This week, super interesting. Uh, I know last week we teased that we're going to talk about free agency. I will do that, but there's much that needs to be covered before we get there. Um, As I caveated last week, because of how fucking weird our world is right now... We would just have to see how everything goes prior to getting to this week. And oh my god, this week did not disappoint. Um, actually, it, to be honest, it disappointed greatly. Um, the first thing I want to talk about is New Zealand. And I know everyone's talking about it. Um, but I it, Tragic doesn't even begin to describe these events. Uh, I listened to... One newscaster out of Australia, um, who is also Muslim, and the way that he described it, that these people were in their most vulnerable position um, in prayer. I mean, literally, you could not be more vulnerable unless you were in a hospital in a like medically induced coma. The the whole point of prayer. Is to be introspective and to put yourself at peace, or at least it is uh, in the Muslim religion. It's about centering yourself um, and praying to Allah. So, prayer is all you need to know. They were they were on the floor in prayer, and somebody came in and killed fifty of them just because, just because he he believed them to be something they're not, and. That's that's horrifying. Uh, Even worse is how this all unfolded, that we have a new age of mass murder, where now the attention is solely on the task and what they're attempting to do, Uh, that this was publicized and put onto YouTube and Facebook. Even his manifesto was put out there prior to him even committing the crimes. Um, which is an indication that we don't share data between countries very well, uh, but also that this could get worse before it gets better. I mean, you're now, with each one of these mass shootings, it goes up a level. Maybe not the body count, but how they're publicized. Now, you have people, I I hate to throw myself in there, but like me, who can say whatever they want, whenever they want. It's the First Amendment. I get it. Um... But there's so many different media avenues now that it's hard to track what one fucking crazy individual decides they want to do. So this psychopath decided he wanted to put himself online and then videotape what he had done or GoPro or whatever you want to say. Um, but that's, that's fucking terrifying. And even more terrifying was the manifesto that came out about it. And the fact that he actually blames our current sitting president, or I should say he indicates that uh, Trump was one of the reasons. He actually quotes Trump multiple times in his manifesto concerning Muslim immigrants. And, uh, look, say what you will, and I'm not saying that you blame Donald Trump for this by any means, but there is a level of culpability that a leader of what used to be at least the moral compass for the world in some areas. We are at least considered to be the world police, or at least we were for a long time. Um, But if you have someone that continues to condemn the actions of anybody that is slightly brown when they do something of this nature, but immediately call for leniencies or not condemning the act of a white terrorist and that's exactly what they are this is a white terrorist call him a nationalist call him a supremacist call him whatever else you want to but you need to end that with terrorist because that's what they are but not condemning their actions but saying that you know they're misunderstood or you know we need to look into this more but immediately condemning it had it been transverse. Had this been a Muslim terrorist who kicked in a church door, cat, or a Christian church, and gunned down everyone in the church, this immediately would have been called a terrorist event, and there would have been calls to secure our borders and everything else, even if it happened in another country. There would have been calls for tighter security, but I mean, if it's... If it's white people, it's, it's seemingly okay, or it needs to be looked into more. There's a misunderstanding. Um, and that's, I mean, on the heels of Trump having a fucking miserable week. So immediately to start off, you know, during the week he gets voted that the Mueller report should be made public 420 to zero. That says a lot. (laughs) like you have that many people within the house that are just like no we we ha- everyone needs to see this report. And by the way, as someone who voted in the election and this may have a bearing on the election results, meaning that if we find that there was multiple issues here, there's the issue of collusion. um with Russia, And had they tampered with the election, that means that our votes counted for nothing. So yeah, I think that as someone who voted in the election, I deserve to see what the, at least the, the findings. I need to know one way or another if our election was hacked and that he is ultimately responsible. And just so we're clear, again, when it comes to Trump and the election, you either have to believe that... He was part of everything, gave direct orders to Flynn, Manafort, Cohen, you name it. Even his kid, Trump Jr., Eric, the works, for everything. Collusion, the payoffs, Trump Tower Russia, you name it. You either have to believe he was involved, or you believe, because you're a supporter, that he had nothing to do with any of it. And he's the dumbest fucking man on the face of the earth. And all this just happened without his approval. And I can't imagine that people still believe that 100%. In fact, I don't remember which poll it was, but it was like 60% of Americans believe. And I'd love, by the way, for each one of these polls, I would love to just see the data set of who you actually question. And that's all of them. It doesn't matter what it is. Anyway, 60% of Americans believe he's a criminal in one way or another. Well, the follow-up question I would have asked of that is, do you care that he's running the country? Because it seems like they don't. And that's scary. I believe he's a criminal, I just don't give a fuck. Um, anyway. But with this, we have one shit given that pops up and wants to block this from being made public. And that is Mr. Lindsey Flip-Flop. Graham. And I only say that because he hated Trump while he was running for president, now he fucking loves him. So what changed? And I think it rhymes with money. Or fear, I'm not sure. But why is he so terrified about this report being made public? Is there anything in there about him? Does he believe that the outcome of this could destroy the abs the fabric of democracy? If that was the case, then you'd have a problem with Trump still being president. Because he is destroying the fabric of democracy. One constitutional, like, step over the line after step over the line. Like, just slowly pushing that document to the side and making everything about the art of the squeal. Which is exactly what he does. But why do you have such a problem with this report being made public? Again, voters. All of us voted in the election if there was any tampering or collusion on the part of our now sitting president we have the right to know this I would think if it was any other circumstance maybe we would be digging in too deep like the, the Trump Tower stuff that might be something that you keep behind closed doors for what reason, I don't know, I'm just saying but this, completely different alright moving on For the rest of his bad week. Then he had to turn around being shot down for the national emergency. Even Republicans stepping up and saying, no, this is not a national emergency. You can't spend the entire time golfing and watching Fox News if it's just a a national fucking emergency. You can't just create national emergencies when we have a 42-year low for border crossings at our southern border. But, of course... Decide to veto it, and after the veto, increase the budget that he needs from around 5.7 billion to 8.6 billion dollars. And again, that's at this time because he needs 25 billion over the next five years, whatever the fuck it is. But now it's 8.6. There's no justification for any of these changes, by the way. He started at 1.3, he jumped to 5.7, then he went to 8.6. The last two jumps, there's no reason. For the jump, like he hasn't actually put into writing that there's um, material costs have increased or labor costs have increased. Nothing. There's no reason for it. And if you look at Trump as a businessman and how he has taken money away from A to pay B, which is why the Trump Taj Mahal failed. Then. Do we think he's doing this now? What's he, what's the money for? Who is he paying it to? Where is it going? That, by the way, there's absolutely no oversight as to how he's spending this money because it's all his people who are ex fucking CEOs of Goldman Sachs and shit watching his, watching his back. So if some money just goes missing, which, yes, I do believe in my heart of hearts, he would fleece the American people in the tune of, let's say, $7 $7 billion for his own gain because he's told people his entire life he's a billionaire when he's not. All right. As I said, robbing Peter to pay Paul. Here's another one that's kind of a bomb drop from Mr. El Presidente. Mm. Sorry, coffee. Mm. This is a man who during his election campaign for everything that he said, build a wall, Mexico will pay for it, etc., He said that he would never make cuts to three things. Medicaid, Medicare, and Social Security. He stood firm on that because he knew that he needed the older white vote, or at least the elderly white vote, to get him into office. But lo and behold, his 2020 fucking budget comes out, and I kid you not, this is how it reads. $1.5 trillion dollars... Removed from Medicaid, a hundred or eight hundred and forty-five billion removed from Medicare, and then twenty-five billion removed from Social Security. And I'm guessing the number is so low for Social Security because there's really nothing left in there. That money is all gone. But after saying that you would not tap these resources, you tap the fuck out of them. I mean, we're talking over combined. $2.3 trillion, trillion trillion with a T, that word we used to joke around as kids because it could never be that amount of money. It's like saying bajillion almost. He's taking all the bajillions away from all the people that need it, and he really is. He's robbing people from their health care, their social security. It's unbelievable the extent he'll go to, but for what? To put more money into the military and into his fucking walls. But we don't know where the rest of this money is going. It's just fucking gone. Alright. Sorry. I digress. That is enough about Mr. Trump and the horrible tragedy that befell us this week. Let's move on to the big thing. Free agency. So can we say, Hello. That football is back, and if you've been watching the AAF, it's kind of been back. Uh, I enjoy watching those games. They do some weird shit, but I like it. There's no kickoff. They just start the game from the 20. Um, If you want to go for an onside kick, you don't do an onside kick. What you do is your offense has to make a 4th and 12. And what that means is I believe they put you at the 20 or the 25-yard line, and your offense has to go with one play, 12 yards, and if you don't, you give up the ball at that spot. And that's kind of an interesting play. I I kind of went over this in my head, like, why would you do not 4th and 10, but 4th and 12? And I think it makes sense because how many teams actually have a 12-yard play in their playbook specifically for this? Like, you don't see a lot of 3rd and 12s that people are making or 4th and 25s, unless it's the Packers playing the Eagles, but whatever. Um, Anyway, as a whole, they're putting a pretty good product out there. Um, Especially using ex-NFLers, you see a lot of... Game footage, or I'm watching a lot of these where I'm like, God, I, don't, I can't believe these guys are not playing in the NFL. And then you have to remember, oh, they're not playing against that top-tier talent right now. So some of these guys are going to make it back in based on their play. Keith Reiser's one. He's uh, a cornerback. I believe he plays for the for Apollo, um, and he is or the Orlando Apollos. Um, but he's like a lockdown corner, probably the best in the league right now through six games. Um, and then, I can't remember his first name, but Smith from San Antonio. This kid has had four interceptions over the last two games, two of which return for a touchdown. There's, like, not only are you, and he's, by the way, and he's stout against the run too, plays down in the box. So you're showing a full range of talent that may get you back into the NFL or at least invited to a training camp. So I think... This this league already has shown that it has merit. I just hope it doesn't go under via funding. Um, I, I kind of wish that they would open it up so you could actually invest in the league itself. Uh, I think that would be amazing. And by the way, this might be something that's out there. I haven't researched it yet, but who knows. All right. Free agency. i got to start with the Seahawks. Um, in fact, I'm going to start with teams that aren't doing much in free agency, who I believe are the real... Winners year after year after year. You see a lot of teams that break the bank in free agency. Uh, Cleveland is going to be one that we talk about. Um, who's doing that right now? Um, as well as the Packers, kind of opened up their pocketbook, which is unusual for them as an organization. They just they don't do this. But the overspend and the Jets are in this um, camp too. Usually doesn't like that doesn't equate to wins over the next season. So, let's start with the Seahawks because it's my team. Um, lost some good people. By that, I mean J.R. Sweezy left in free agency. Justin Coleman left, but he kind of hit the jackpot, and I don't think we can match that offer in um, Detroit. Detroit, another one of those teams that's way overspending right now. Um, but at least we were able to recoup one. We went from losing J.R. Sweezy, who, and let's be honest, is the largest zombie you'll ever see in your life, uh, to pulling in Mike Ayupati. Now, Mike Ayupati, for those of you who actually are into football and remember the NFC West, for a long time, the 49ers were our biggest rival. And Mike Ayupati was a big part of that because he was stout, so stout against the run. He is just a man-mover. It's what he does. Um, granted, he's in his 30s now, so there is some attrition there, but we're, we're essentially replacing... J.R. Sweezy with a bigger version of JR Sweezy. You got a guy who has good lateral motion, um, road grader. I mean, he puts it to you, but not really good in pass coverage. So I'm hoping that we do a lot of, like, well, like what we did last year, a lot of running. Um, Jason Myers, the kicker we picked up. It's nice to have somebody that was in the Pro Bowl last year who is a definite need for us because our kicking game has been a shambles since Hauschka left. But we pick him up for pretty cheap because he's a kicker. Um, We may even pull somebody into camp to see if they can compete with him, but that's just to elevate the level of competition. He's probably our guy. That would be nice to have that locked down, to have our special teams positions with two pro bowlers. That would be great. Punny and kicking. That would be amazing. Um, lastly, we kept K.J. Wright, which I think keeping your own people is paramount for winning, especially somebody who is, I don't want to say underrated, because if every news outlet that reports on football calls one of your linebackers one of the most underrated linebackers in the game, he's not underrated. Everyone knows who he is. Who he is. He's not flying under the radar at all. Um, so I think for the Seahawks right now, they've done a decent job, and it just it's not doing too much It's because they're going into the draft and... They're probably, as all of us know, they're going to trade down in the first round, potentially out of the first round. That would be my guess. Um, and then they'll take somebody you've never heard of, uh, and they'll wind up being a really good player. Um, I'm hoping that they start with safety and then work their way around. So meaning safety, then we need a corner. Um, what's his name? Yarok Singh. If If we can get that kid in the second round... That's a fucking great pickup. Uh, He's a corner out of, I believe, Temple, and he fits our mold. He would be a great third, potentially third, or even could take over for Shaq, meaning we move Shaq into the slot position because he didn't do bad as a slot corner. Um, Anyway, so far, I'd say teams like the Seahawks, who haven't done a lot, uh, funny, like the Bengals haven't done a lot. I don't know if that's because they're hamstrung for a cap um, or they just believe they're already in a good situation, which I, I don't know if I agree with that if you haven't made the playoffs in the last couple of years. Um, and then you have New England hasn't done a lot. and You see teams like... Uh, The Giants, who are obviously in a rebuilding mode, but still doing just enough, kind of like what the Seahawks did last year. Like, we look like we're rebuilding, we're getting rid of some key players, but we're bringing people to fill the gap for a little bit. And by that I mean, now we're going to jump into the big stuff, you have the Odell Beckham trade. And a lot of people were flabbergasted by this trade. You just gave Odell Beckham the biggest contract in history. True. Um, But... You still sucked ass last year with one of the best game-breaking receivers out there. Um, So, what does that tell you? That's like, Jerry Johnson and... In the 80s, not even the 80s, sorry. In the 90s, when they traded um, Herschel Walker to the Minnesota Vikings for essentially their entire draft. uh, Everyone was like, how could you trade your best player? If you are... 2-14 2-14 with the league's best running back, that doesn't mean shit. You're still a 2-14 and 14 team with the league's best running back. You might as well do a complete rebuild, which is, I think is kind of where the Giants are at. It's not a complete rebuild, but they now have $36 million of dead cap space because of moves they've made over last year and already this year. I mean, they got rid of Snacks Harrison. They got rid of Odell Beckham. Uh, Who else did they trade? Anyway, that's like they had three trades that are going to put a massive amount of dead cap on them for one year. And then they can completely rebuild this year or into next year. They have two first round draft picks. So they can keep their cap low by just minimal free agency moves and then making good moves in good decisions within the draft. Um, Conversely, the Cleveland Browns are kind of breaking the fucking bank. If you look at some of the moves they've made, they brought in Kareem Hunt, which is kind of a gamble on a one-year deal, uh, who has all the talent in the world but loves to get in trouble, has a problem potentially getting, you know, with domestic violence, allegedly. Um, You bring in Sheldon Richardson to tie up the line. Now, if you look at their linebackers, scary. I shouldn't say linebackers. If you look at their D-line, it's fucking scary right now. Interior to exterior, super scary. Um a lot of pundits are saying they're going to win the AFC North, but the last time Cleveland went out and spent draft picks and money in free agency, um, granted, I think at the time Derek Anderson was their quarterback, but they went to the playoffs the year before, broke the bank the next year, and then had the one of the worst years they've had in their history not not their O for a year, but close like they were either I think it was like three for thirteen or four for twelve, but History is not on the side of teams that break the bank in free agency. You spend a lot of money. You have a ton of cap. Oh, Olivia Vernon. That was the other person that they traded over there uh, to the Browns. Like, scary defensive line. Like, very disruptive. Miles Garrett, Sheldon Richardson, Olivia Vernon. And that's just their front four. Like, we're not even talking about the back half of them. Anyway. So, but still, breaking the bank in free agency... Olivia Vernon, he brought over a huge contract with him as well. So did Odell Beckham. Guess who's going to have one in a couple of years? Miles Garrett's going to have a new contract. Sheldon Richardson, you give a ton of money for. If these don't work out and you don't win a Super Bowl or make it deep into the playoffs, you failed. If you don't win the NFC North, you failed. You have so much. You have a talent-ridden roster. On paper, there is no reason they shouldn't be considered... Top team, one of the top at least the top team in the NFC or the AFC North. I kept saying NFC, sorry. AFC North. Like they should win that division easily. But will they? And you have to look around them too. What are some of the subtractions? Joe Flacco's gone. So it's now all Lamar Jackson. It's on his shoulders. And by the way, the Ravens took huge hits on their defense. Eric Weddle's gone. Smith is gone from their outside, one of their biggest pass rushers. Terrell Suggs is gone. He's now in Arizona. Like, you should win that division. Okay? You look at Pittsburgh. What happened there? Antonio Brown, he's now a Raider. And by the way, the Raiders are another team that's kind of overspending right now. But we'll get to that. So, you look at all how their division has taken hits in free agency. They should be the clear-cut Winner. The Bengals haven't really done anything, so you have to look at them as being the same team as they were last year, which is not good. Except for they have a new head coach. Um, Pittsburgh, lost talent. Not really regaining a lot of it, so we'll see what they do in the draft. They should probably go defense at least. I'd say a corner is their biggest need right now. They need a shutdown corner, which they don't have. Um, And then you look at the Ravens, which we just said. They have... They've lost a lot of talent this year as well. Most of it on the defensive side of the ball. Um, they brought in Mark Ingram, which I think is only because they lost Alex Collins because of his stupidity. So, they should win. And I would almost bet you, they won't. It'll be interesting to see throughout the year. I think they're going to have a better year, but this sets you... this. This is setting you up for injury issues because without Tyrod Taylor as a backup to Baker Mayfield, you're one play away from who? Who? Hogan? Kevin Hogan? That's your backup. You're one play away from him being your starting guy. And all the talent in the world can't make up for shitty quarterback play. Okay. Moving along. Let's look at the Antonio Brown trade. To say that Mike Mayock and company um, fleeced the Steelers, it's hard to say. I would say if you look at it on paper, you have quite possibly the best receiver in the game. Some people call him undefendable. When he comes off the line, he is almost immediately open. But you have a $21 million cap hit. And you're only getting back a third and a fifth pick. And the Raiders gave him a new contract. Fleece might not be the right word because they were taking such a cap hit to move him. And he had become such a distraction within that locker room that a lot of people say the same thing. It's addition by subtraction. But still, he is a game-changing wide receiver defenses have to account for wherever he is on the field. They have to change their coverages, roll it to one side or the other, depending on where Antonio Brown is. Which, by the way, is why Juju Schuster-Smith has become so good so quick, is because he's not facing the same kind of coverage that Antonio Brown is. But now he will. He will be their focal point. Which means he's going to see le- like less receptions. You'll see Vance McDonald, I would have said Jesse James, but he's moved on to the Lions. Um, Vance McDonald is going to see more targets. Their other receivers are going to see more targets. Schuster Smith, I think he's going to actually have maybe a down year because he's going to see those double teams. He's going to see more bumps off the line. He's going to see more safeties over the top and a corner underneath. Hell, he might even see a middle linebacker drifting towards his side too as Ben Roethlisberger tries to force that ball in there. It'll be interesting. Interesting. And you don't have the added benefit of having Le'Veon Bell in the backfield. Now, granted, James Conner, who, by the way, is one of my favorite fucking players in the entire NFL. You look at what that kid had to do to get into the NFL, and you will be blown away by that story. This kid fought through fucking cancer while at Pitt and would go to get, um, his, uh, what are they called chemo appointments Jesus his chemo appointments and then come to the field and practice with a fucking mask on and go to the weight room this kid is a fucking beast waiting to just be completely unleashed he was good last year he might be great this year let's see but again not the same receiving threat that Le'Veon Bell was. Le'Veon Bell was a fucking tight end in a running back's body and could do literally almost anything. Probably one of the most patient runners I've ever seen in my life. But still, amazing hands. And he was an outlet receiver. I think he averaged, I think it was over 137 yards per game. That's a good part of your offense for one person. James Conner isn't there yet. He needs to work on that receiving part of his game. And once he becomes more of a threat out of the backfield, then maybe it will take some of that pressure off of Smith. But he's going to have to work real hard to be a true number one now. Let's move on to the Raiders. Yes, the Raiders got an amazing deal, but Antonio Brown is like a 30-year-old receiver. That doesn't mean anything because he's also probably the hardest working receiver in the NFL. He doesn't have an injury history, but... In trades like this, I don't know what it is, like the Madden curse or whatever, you always see this player, this giant player we've given a new contract to, a giant contract to, what happens? They get injured. And they go down. And everyone questions it. And then maybe the Steelers don't do bad. They actually do really well with him not being there. And how could you do this? And oh my god. But for a third and a fifth pick... Conversely, Cleveland gave up a first, a third, and their starting safety, Jabril Peppers, who they drafted, what, one or two years ago in the first round, to the Giants for Odell Beckham, who is a younger version of ADB. Sorry, that's Angry Doug Brown. (laughs) Sorry, Angry Doug Baldwin. I meant Antonio Brown. Um, So... Fleeced needs to be put in there, but they gave him a huge contract. And I think you did... You did the Steelers a solid by by taking him. Uh, there's no other way to say it. I, I think um, originally, the 49ers probably had the most... Uh, the biggest stake in the game. But the Raiders was just a little bit better as far as an offer was concerned, which is why he moved over there. But you look at... This, and then the Raiders giving Trent Brown like a $61 million contract. Um, hell, who else did they bring in? By the way, they're on a spending spree right now, and they gave Antonio Brown a huge contract on top of what he also had. So Antonio Brown played the game better than anyone ever has. He forced the trade. He got what he wanted, which was more money. And he went to a team where he believes he will be the number one target to get the ball more. But when he doesn't, he's going to pout and do the same shit he did before. All right, last team I'm going to talk about. And that is the Detroit Lions. The Detroit Lions are in kind of a rebuilding phase. Uh, You bring in Matt Patricia as your coach. He tears everything down. He changes the defense because that's what he does. That's what he specializes in. He wants to run the ball more, but really wasn't effective at doing so. Um, But rebuilding your defense and bringing in key pieces from New England. Now, I mentioned Justin Coleman earlier. Guess where Justin Coleman came from? That's right. The Seahawks traded a 7th round draft pick. Which, by the way, that was a fucking steal. To New England to get Justin Coleman. Justin Coleman learned under Matt Patricia. Then he learned under Pete Carroll. Now he's going back to Matt Patricia. I don't know if he's going to be starting on the outside. Or if he's going to be on the inside. But he's going to be a good corner for them. But they way overpaid at almost $30 million for him. Worse is who they brought in also. And that is Trey Flowers. Now, I appreciate Trey Flowers' game. He is a tactician as a defensive end. He can set the line, he can hold it, he's stout against the run, and he puts pressure on the quarterback. He is very good at what he does. But I don't believe he's ever had more than eight sacks in a season, and I think he got close to $65 million. A lot of that is upfront guarantees. Now, you have to worry about any player that the Patriots let walk. And it's similar to the Ravens. Every time the Ravens have let a defensive player walk, they have failed in their next role. The Patriots are very similar. A lot of what they do is scheme-based. Now, granted, he's going to a place that's going to have a very similar scheme in what Matt Patricia is doing because Matt Patricia helped rebuild the Patriot defense, But for that kind of money, what else can you invest in? Defense, quote-unquote, wins championships. Got it. Um, But if you can't put up points to compete, you can't have a 0-0 game and win. So why are you spending all of your cap on three players that may not get you any more wins? Food for thought. All right. There'll be more of this as it, as we go along, um, especially leading up to the draft. There's a lot of things coming up as far as the draft is concerned. I hope, I really hope that this draft is just filled with trades and it's crazy town. Because I think where baseball, where basketball, um, and hell, to this point, even like the MLS, are more interesting is in the trades that happen all the time. We're starting to see that more in the NFL where people are starting to realize you can cut and run faster than you have in the past. A lot of that has to do with the rookie contract situation and that you're not paying guys who are first-round, first overall pick, $100 million with $50 million guaranteed. Sam Bradford was the last person that benefited from that. I mean, and that motherfucker's made a lot of money off of doing very little. Um, but you, you look at kind of the models that are being built now because of the rookie wage scale. Uh, and if you look at teams like the Rams, also in the NFC West, um, they're they're flourishing right now in free agency by taking risks on certain players in Dominick and Sue last year, uh, the Dante Fowler trade, they picked up Eric Weddle this year, they let LaMarcus Joyner walk, who was the other person that went to the Raiders, who they overpaid for, and um, But they can take these chances in free agency and pick up certain guys because their starting quarterback is still on his rookie contract. There's a huge chunk of money they're eventually going to have to pay him, maybe, um, if they believe he's going to be the guy, Jared Goff, throughout history. Now, the Seahawks are going to run into something similar. Russell Wilson is bound to get paid. And... Is he going to take all of the money and therefore be the highest paid quarterback and leave the Seahawks in a place where they have to rely solely on the draft because they don't have any more draft capital left, which means that you have to let quality players go because you just can't afford them. and then, Or you're just constantly restructuring his his contract and moving more money to the front, which is just paying for everything on a credit card, essentially, or... Do you go back to the same model? Your most productive time is when Russell Wilson was still in his rookie contract because you could spend more on pieces around him. If he takes all of the money, you can't have pieces around him, which will eventually happen to the Rams. They're in a position right now with their wide receivers and their defense, Aaron Donald, etc., where they're cap-heavy there. Well, what happens when you have to pair Jared Goff $25 million a year? Do you start over? Meaning, do you let him walk? And draft somebody that fits your offense and you're in that cycle again, or who do you have to let walk because you're paying him that money? I'm glad I don't have to make these decisions. By the way, I would love to work in this industry, meaning in the NFL, because I find it so fucking fascinating. But I'm glad for right now, I don't have to make these decisions and they're on somebody else. Um, but I can't wait to see where it goes. I can't wait to see what we do in the draft. Here's my prediction. We trade down not once, but twice. We trade down once in the first round, moving from 25, potentially, we'll say past 26. So, one of six picks, and then we trade down again into the second round. Because we're missing a second round pick, and I believe a fifth round pick, we only have four picks in this draft. Don't be surprised by the end of it if we have upwards of seven, because that's just how they do business. Um... I would love to see that. I know a lot of people like me, if you watch the draft, you get excited for what they're going to pick. You see all of these players that you've heard so much about that are still available on the board. Um, look, they know what they're doing. Uh, they pick people like Bobby Wagner, who I didn't even realize was a player, um, and he's he's amazing. He's, he's He is the heart of that defense. Frank Clark, I thought that was the worst pick ever. Like, who the hell is this guy? He's just trouble. Oh, yeah, he's a dominant defensive end. And the list goes on and on and on. Look at Flowers from last year. He had a great year. He's a converted safety to corner. Okay. Let's just make that work. Cam Chancellor. Earl Thomas, you name it, they've done it. Uh Richard Sherman. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. So I will I will trust in their ability to find late round draft picks and question everything they do because I can, because I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. I can talk a good game, but if I got into a room with one of these guys, I'd be like, that's uh, that's Pete Carroll. (laughs) It's Pete Carroll. And that'd be about it. All right. I have no idea what we're going to talk about next week. Um, Again, if you have any suggestions, hit me up on Facebook. Uh, If you know me personally, then shoot me a message if you don't know me personally, um, that's that's a problem. I mean, I'm kind of a cool person. You should know me personally. Anyway, I will talk to everyone later, and hopefully, this next week is not as eventful as this last. Thank you.